Hello and welcome back to Series 7 of The Public Eye, a six-part series of podcasts brought to you, of course, by Granite Exchange. I'm your host, Sarah Travers, and throughout this series, I've been speaking with local entrepreneurs and business owners to learn more about how their companies have come to be, to gain insight into their growth, and find out how they continue to innovate. So wherever you get your podcasts from, remember to keep an eye out for all new episodes and subscribe to stay up to date. Well, today I'm joined by Connor McGreevy, Chief Executive Officer of CTS and founder of Mourn Mountains Brewery Limited. Connor, you are very welcome. Now, before we begin, I'm going to give a little bit of background on Connor and his businesses, although I'm sure he'll be sharing much more very shortly. So CTS stands for Connect, Transform, Sustain. And CTS is an award-winning, industry-leading asset management uh, company. Originally a building company, CTS has expanded into heating installation and has further diversified into building maintenance and property development. This has extended the company's reached over 60,000 properties and rising across the island of Ireland. Now, Connor's own interest in decent beer drew out his entrepreneurship over six years ago when he set up Mourn Mountains Brewery in Warren Point. The brewery, which was created out of passion, has now turned into a successful local business. So a great guest. And I know, Connor, we've been trying to get you on the public eye for some time. I said thank you for joining us in the studio today. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. So congratulations on your wonderful businesses. Um, I've touched on the main ones, but I know you uh, are involved in a lot more too. Can you give us a little bit of background into yourself, where you grew up and where this entrepreneurial spirit came from? Yeah, of course. So I grew up in Balnehinch. Um, so I'm pretty much a blue into Newry Moorn area. But I'm a passionate person about where I live today. Um, I was in around 16 years of age. We moved down after my mother's uh, father passed away. Moved down into the Ballymartin area, so the heart of the Moorns really. And uh, we've been here ever since. But I suppose my background, um, really, I suppose business and, and uh, all that has come from through necessity, really. Um, looking back in, in time, you know, my mum pretty much was a, a single mother. My father had to go across, like many, many people across England to get work because there's nothing happening here. So there's a lot of poverty around, I suppose, back in the, the 80s and, and, and early 90s and that. So... Um, as a, the senior male figure then in the in the house, I sort of tried to look after my two sisters and, and that and my mother. And I was working from 12 years of age. Um, I worked out in a, a, a farm uh, with a, a mill and stuff like that for flour. And I, was, I went out fishing. Um, I've worked oyster gathering. I've worked in dun stores. Uh, you know, whatever it was, I was always trying to work and, and earn a few pounds for the house. And... One of the things that stands out is, you know, mum as, as a as a sole parent was also trying to earn money to keep us going. We were, you know, it was dire and like buying school blazers, four sizes too big so you could grow into it, things like that. And, you know, uh, one of the things that say stands out is the uh, tin of uh, soup, red soup, what we used to call tomato soup. Uh-huh. So it was the red soup and it had to be watered down to feed, feed us all. So from there, I suppose, there was always a drive in me, right, I'm going to try and do better. And in fairness, Mum, as a role model for me, uh, pushed very hard that we got our education and we, you know, all of us tried to do better than what she did. And I think 
we've been successful with that, and that's been the fire in the belly. So really you had that sense of duty, I suppose, from a very, very young age. Did you ever resent that feeling that you had to provide? I didn't resent it. Maybe in more recent years, I've been sitting going, my whole life has been to try and look after the family, but I don't resent that. It's just more or less I'm now going, right, okay, I need to be a wee bit of time for myself now and what I want out of life. But no, there's no no resent there. Um, I never felt the, the, the sense of duty either. It was more, this is the thing to do. This yeah. is about survival. Now... You're far from watering down tins of soup now. That uh, drive, that determination has really seen you build an incredible business. If we start, first of all, with CTS, how did that all start? Um, again, out of necessity, if, if I'm honest, the, it was a family unit. We were probably in financial difficulties. Um, I, I always say it was a bit of a test uh, for, for what came in 2008. The banks were testing uh, probably my father and that uh, in around financial transactions and stuff and property and early days so I was sitting around 2004 and 5 and, and it was tough you know mortgages and houses and all the rest of it. and I said right there's something I've got to do here so I actually I got a degree in geography but mm-hmm. that actually happened by chance too there was no plan in that they had no interest really in doing that uh, they wouldn't let me in Queen's wouldn't let me in because they didn't get the grades at high level and I begged and pleaded and it says look we'll let you into a level zero um, which was a like a, a year before below first year, and if you do well, we'll let you into architecture, which is what I really wanted to do. Uh-huh. Um, and they say they didn't let me in after level zero. I was back in the level one geography, so I came out and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life and, and, and purpose and that. But geography, I suppose, gave me a grounding in renewable energy, mm. and it was starting to take off at that stage. And people were starting to look at, you know, what do we do around energy? And oil prices were starting to creep up towards a hundred dollars where we are today, mm-hmm. actually, as we speak. And I said, renewable energy and the construction background through the family business. My father was in construction; his father was in construction. I said, well, what could I do here? And that's really where CTS started. Going in to look at properties and putting in biomass boilers. Um. Even the logo back then, CTS, I designed that myself, sitting on a beach on a, on a holiday, um, drew it in the sand, and CTS actually stood for, I know at the start, sorry, you said it was Connect, Transform, Sustain, it actually stood for my name, Connor Thomas Stephen, and I was going to do some sort of projects of installing renewable energy. So it's evolved, but I mean, like life, you start off on a journey, and you evolve and move into what you want to do, and you change as you go along, and CTS has essentially done that too. So isn't that so interesting that you felt that university, perhaps you weren't doing what you were really had initially planned to do, but that geography degree, when I think now, you know, people are rushing to do geography at university because with climate change, with biodiversity, with the need to get to net zero and save the planet and, you know, what renewable energies, that's absolutely what people are doing. So in a way, you were ahead of your time. And even with biomass boilers, what what year were you doing that? And did people even understand what you were talking about? Yeah, it was a difficult sell. It was 2006 whenever CTS was incorporated. Um, Probably ended up installing 250, 300 biomass boilers. And looking back on it, the, the driver for people that were buying these was that the fact that there was a government grant for it. Today, thankfully, you don't actually need a grant for these things to stack up and make sense. So I do believe renewable energy is now here to stay. Um, and, and there is a, a natural payback without government subsidies. But also, you know, 15, 16 years later, 17 years later, we've come to a point where people are talking about carbon zero. People are now more awake to the climate crisis that we're currently facing. 
So I actually find that CTS is now moving back, and that's where Sustain comes in now at the end of mm-hmm. the name. Mm-hmm. We're coming back into what we were actually started to do. Uh, which I kind of find interesting, full circle. So we'll come back to that, I think, later on in the interview to see where you'll be going next and maybe what uh, answers to all the world's problems you might have. But at CTS, you've grown into a £25 million business and, you know, just looking at the stats there, 250 full-time members of staff, you know, around 200 subcontractors. You're providing such a lot of work and livelihoods for, for people. Um did you ever expect it would reach this level of success and how do you cope with that? Very good questions. Um, first of all, expectation, no. It definitely, I'm going to probably, all, all the business gurus out there are probably going to shout at me now, there's not a single strategy, there's no strategic document that's taken the business from start to today. So you didn't start with the end in mind? It no. has evolved? It has evolved, it has looked at opportunities, it's been... I suppose my life, where 24-7 you do, in some shape or form, think about it, look at what's happening and try to move towards it. But there's no written document, you know. And actually, we went into an Invest in AI programme a couple of years ago and I came out of it because I got so frustrated because I was hearing all these high-level uh, strategic words being used. I was like, well, yeah, okay, don't really believe that stuff. We know where we'll go and we have to be able to react. And that nimble attitude has probably taken us to where we are today. Um, as you say, a lot of people now are their livelihoods has been derived from CTS, which is probably my greatest pride. Wow! So I mean, that comes from you being that family man. We we've heard about that sense of duty at the start, and I suppose that describes maybe the kind of leader that you are. That the people who work for you, they are your ambassadors at the end of the day, but. Um, you know, you know that they need to provide and they need to provide for their wives, their children, their whoever. Yeah, uh, and that is core for me. It is, I always talk about it being a family business and there's lots of family employed in the business too. And it's trying to get, for me, the core value of what I look for with people working for me is care, that they care in what they're doing and they care for the end customer. You know, 60,000 properties across this island were in doing maintenance and improvements and things like that. And it doesn't matter whether that call-out is to go and fix a door handle. That door handle is probably rattling and it's causing somebody an inconvenience or an annoyance or whatever it is. So whenever you know my operatives go and they fix that, they're actually making that person happier in that house because now they don't have that rattle. Or somebody's got maybe damp rising and we're out and we're fixing that so they're not going to be healthier in their properties. So I look for people at Kern and what they do. We've had a few rogues, don't get me wrong, but I mean, by and large, now we've got a great team of 250 direct staff, 200 subcontractors who actually care on what they're doing. And that makes me proud that they're going to making people healthier and happier in the buildings that they're in. So suppose it'd be really important for the listeners to understand exactly what the business does on a day-to-day purpose, uh, you know, basis. The asset management part, that's sort of what you do. So explain how that works. Yeah, so it's pretty much everything from a broken door handle through to, say, an extension onto a house. We do a lot of this in social housing where somebody's moved in and they've maybe got an illness and they can't get up the stairs now to go to bed or use a shower or whatever. We're putting on an extension at the back to put in a disabled um, compliant shower room, uh, wet room, as they're called. Um, or, or a bedroom with you know proper ground floor access, and it'll surprise you, sir, how many properties are out there where people actually can't enjoy their actual home because they're not fit for what their needs are. 
Um, so that's a really exciting part of the business. And then, as I said, gas boiler servicing, keeping people healthy. Um, and, of course, in these times, energy efficiency, costing them less to run their heating in their homes. So that's the wide uh, main part of the business. You talked around development and stuff too. So we, we're involved in, in a multi-million pound development project too, which, yeah, it's good. It, it's probably not my excitement. You can probably tell here. I enjoy where we're going out and actually helping people in their properties that they're living in today. So the end user, if you like, the customer at the end of the day is not maybe necessarily the body that's paying the bills, but the person who's living in the home. Yeah. People's living in the home or uh, people who are occupying a building. A so building. the likes of the building that we're in here today, you know, there's people in here and if it's freezing, mm-hmm. you know, you <laughs> we were talking here, about the heat. We were talking about the heat before we came on. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's freezing in here, you're not happy you're, 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 and you're not healthy either. Mm-hmm. You know, ventilation, all that there. So it's... People in buildings, homes and buildings, that, that's what really tickles my fancy. It's once you get that, and it goes back to other things in my life, I suppose. A home is where it all starts from. Everything in your life starts from a stable, healthy, happy home. And if you get that right, I think everyone can fulfill their potential in life. I mean, it's so refreshing to hear this. Um, there's so much in the, in the news at the minute where we feel that we've got corporate greed on one side and there are people who are, you know, using food banks now that never used food banks before that are really, really struggling, that are choosing between heating and eating. They mightn't be able to he- heat their homes at all. So, you know, to hear that, I think, is it important to you to never lose sight of that? It is, and it actually angers me. Um, whenever I, I read the news, you know, we're back to this heat or eat scenario for people. That's wrong. In in 21st century, in any century really, it should be wrong. But today, I find it so wrong that people are struggling and there seems to be a lack of um, any plan or, or, you know, anything from government to deal with these matters. You know, whenever, you know, I don't want to get political here, but, you know, our Prime Minister is more concerned about Ukraine and things like that. There's people here that really need help and nothing's been happening. And as you say, greed, and we've seen it over the last two years in particular with government. It's it's just wrong for me. And it, I suppose it's actually inspiring me nearly to get back into politics, believe it or not. I was as a poli- as councillor for four years and I came away from it, went, right, that's it, done, does it, put that away in the closet. Um, probably even a little nudge of going back and putting myself forward to try and lead people again. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Legal Services, a niche business and immigration law practice located in the heart of Newry City. Granite Legal Services provides legal advice to both individuals and companies alike across a wide range of industries from employment, commercial or corporate law matters to immigration law. Granite Legal Services focuses on providing legally sound, practical advice to its clients. To get in touch, visit www.granitelegalservices.co.uk or contact 028 3026 And how do you square that all away in your mind? Because I suppose you do very well out of this and you know your your business is is building all the time um somebody has to pay the bills at the end of the day i suppose if this is coming from um you know i'm trying to think of a nice way to ask this question but at the end of the day some of the most vulnerable they need these homes and and somebody has to pay you to provide 
the comforts that they absolutely need. Does that jar with you sometimes? Yes, it actually does. Um, I mean, CTS should, in the utopian world, should be redundant. And that would make me happy. Wow. So I think, I mean, my next question I was going to ask you was, how does CTS stand out from its competitors? But I think you maybe have answered that already. I hope it's occurring. I hope that is the ethos and values that everyone employed in CTS has. And if you have that, whenever, you know, we get a call at midnight, which we often do, and we're responding to it, I think that's what makes us stand out. So who would you say has been your biggest role model in life? I'm going to say my mum, and I know it's going to sound all sappy and all the rest of it, but I mean, she, she didn't have an easy life, and... She pushed us and pushed herself, and full credit to her, she, um, she, she went and she's still educating herself too. Today, you know, I shouldn't probably say this, she's turning 65 this, this year. <laughs> Very young. Uh, I don't say anything, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so she's still doing courses and educating herself, so she's still got that drive to push herself, which is fantastic, you know, and it hasn't been easy on a personal note. I won't dwell on this. I mean, my sister Kira passed away at 31 years of age, mm-hmm. you know, five years ago. So that's also had a heavy toll on my mother too. So, yeah, definitely my mum would be my role model. I mean, that was such a personal uh, tragedy and we, we won't dwell on that. But I know um, that Kira was involved in the business too. She was. So, you know, a massive loss, both personally and professionally. Was it hard to continue after? It was hard to continue, but in some ways... Getting straight back into it was the right thing to do. Um, it kept the minds focused and busy while trying to still deal with that. Uh, and I think we've done a nice thing now where we have deep dived into the core values of the business. Um, the, the, the core values now spell out her name. So what are they? Uh, occurring in, integrity, responsibility, advancement, Um that's really beautiful, though, yeah. to have built those core values yeah. and such great words as well. Now, not only, Connor, are you the CEO of CTS, but I think I mentioned in the intro that you quite fancied a decent beer as well. So you've uh, dipped your toe into the waters of the brewing industry and you're the founder of Mourn Mountains Brewery Limited. Um, how did that begin? Yeah, that's a good one too. Um, <laughs> I often say if I um, bump my head and you know take another stab at something else, probably passion for this area, tourism in particular, and and provenance of food. Uh, we talked we well off off air too there, but um, you know I'm into sort of health and all the goodness and all that there too. So I just like to know what's in the product and the fact that. It was possible to brew beer uh, using more and water from Spelga Dam and natural ingredients in there, you know, four ingredients really, and ha- have an enjoyment around that and build it into the local area in terms of tourism and things like that. And, and again, create jobs locally too. I, I thought that was a, something I should do and it was an opportunity. And I had a, a unit that was available. I was like, well, at this minute in time, we're doing nothing with this, so let's give this a go. And it's, it's doing okay. Yeah, so describe, you know, what, what's it like? What does it look like? How many people are involved in that? Yeah, so there's two people employed full-time. Great. Uh, and then there's another person who would help out in the social media and things like that. Um, and, and the guys are passionate people, but the two, they're both locals. And 
they're just loving life, you know, getting the brew beer. And, it's fantastic. And, uh, it's 11 o'clock, we get the taste this one just to make <laughs> sure it's okay. So, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's, it's a nice business, you know. But it goes back to this localism and probably as a as a human race where we need to go is get more local in everything that we do. And, and if you want to make a big change in terms of climate and all that we talked around, that's what we need to do. We need to look at our food miles and things like that. So, And getting that taste just right for someone who's a connoisseur of, of a decent beer. <laughs> um, how difficult was that? Yeah, so we keep saying that our quest is to get the perfect beer and why do we say that? Because we're never going to get there, yeah. really, because everyone has a different taste. Mm-hmm. But that's part of the joy, that every couple of weeks we release a new beer, and we just keep tweaking the ingredients, something different, we have this flavour. One of the best beers, actually, we did, Sarah, was uh, Dragonfly, it was called, and it was a partnership with a charity uh, called Emer's Wish, and it was a sour beer. Now, people are sour, well, I, but it was a strawberry sour, and it was absolutely gorgeous. The problem probably was you could have had too many of them. Right. <laughs> that tends to be a problem, I think, with all alcohol. But yeah. okay, so, and, and, and that took off for you, did it? At yeah, the I mean, time. but it's once it's gone, it's gone. It's gone, that's it, right? So you just brew, and then you move on. Move and on. So the craft beer industry is, is definitely where you are. And I probably should say to the listeners here who... You know, whenever we say we've had a little conversation um, off air, people say, what were they talking about? But actually, <laughs> Connor came into the podcast studio today with a massive water bottle, uh, two <laughs> litres in there. And he said that he actually drinks up to four litres a day. Um, and then we do a sound check. And then we talked about, I usually ask people what they had for breakfast. And you had very healthy porridge with almond milk and four egg whites. That's right. So your health and is very important to you. It is, yeah. Uh, healthy bodies, healthy mind. And what about exercise and that sort of thing? Yeah, session done this morning too. Very good. Yeah. I always think of Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and the seventh habit is sharpening the saw. Um, for those of you who know, you know, maybe people who don't, it's basically that we are like a, a butcher's knife. We are the saw and yeah. we have to keep ourselves fit, healthy, spiritually and, and looked after to be able to do well, especially in business and in life. Yep, I 100% agree. I mean, <clears throat> I was actually in New Zealand seven years ago and I, I was a real strange one, actually. I was actually in the Philippines building houses with Habitat for Humanity and I met a guy, uh, Paul, who lives in Hollywood um, here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't want to say what age Paul was, but he was a fair age, Paul. Um, and he's from New Zealand. I was, I'm actually heading there next, uh, just somewhere I haven't seen, so I'm just going to go. I says, you must meet my sister. <gasps> so I met a sister, and she was probably in her 80s odd, and they put me up for a night, and she taught me one thing. You need to have balance, physical, mental, and spiritual. And I'll never forget, as I departed, these people who I had never met before in my life until I arrived as a stranger. They'd never met me either. Um uh, we went in the wee group, held hands, and she prayed for me. Oh. And it's stuck with me ever since. And those three things are the three things I try to keep balance in my life. So would you feel that the self-care part is, is important? I mean, do you know when to step back from work? I do, and I struggle to do that, but I, you know, that's all. But you're aware of I'm it. I'm aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm definitely doing a bit more of that myself. And I think maybe that's something that's come out of the pandemic, that we yeah. we realise that our health is our wealth and that is mental as well as, as physical. 100% agree. 
Now, you, you talked earlier uh, in the early days about leaving and invest Northern Ireland uh, sort of course or whatever it was. Um, there was something in you there that knew that, no, I know in my gut something's right and I don't conform to what's being laid out in front of me. Um, have you always been like that? Yeah, probably. So you, <laughs> what do you, did you question authority? I wouldn't say question authority, just have um, that gut feeling that I, you know, I do believe you should listen to it. And it tells you, I mean, your body knows what's right, you know, mm-hmm. mentally, physically, whatever. And whenever the gut says something, I do tend to listen. So that is interesting because, you know, sometimes in big decisions, they tell you maybe to, to take the emotion out of it. But would you say the gut's different to, to the emotion in a situation? I do, yeah, yeah. Um, the emotion, you can get very emotional over various things, particularly in business. Um, pride uh, as an emotion too can really drive people to make the wrong decision. I find... I'm told, um, my, my wife tells me this, she's into astrology, she tells me that you're a Taurus and you've got this trait and all the rest of it, uh, and I like to be alone, apparently, it's, ah, it's in my star signs, okay. so, uh, she actually got me a reading there recently too. Oh, interesting, it was I really to hear all about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need to talk to her probably to understand it, but um, one of the things came out that I like to be on my own to make decisions, and it's so true, and while I was told that you know, two or three weeks ago in, in that reading, you know, I've known this all my life that don't be, for me to make a decision in business, don't be in a room with five, six people debating and banging tables and all the rest, but just detach yourself completely from it, go up a mountain and come back, and I usually have the right decision made. Is that right? So even getting out into nature but not feeling pressurised, just it will come to you, but you need that reflection. Need that reflection, yeah. The space. (laughs) I sound like Moses up a mountain (laughs) here. (laughs) So we're getting very deep, aren't we? We are indeed. First thing in the morning. Um, Yeah, so which mountain would you go up to 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 reflect? (laughs) Um, Well, I love the mornings, as I said. I'm passionate about the area, so I've been up most of the mountains, you know, but I suppose living in Restraver, going up Sleeve Martin or something like that is right beside me, so literally walk at the the front door, walk up. Would you have a favourite mountain? Oh, now that's a good Mm -hmm. question. Um... Mm. You might need to go up there to reflect and come back. Reflect, sir, and come back. (laughs) (laughs) I'll leave that one with you, and I'll ask you again at the end. Um, That's really funny because one of the first jobs that I ever went for was at uh, BBC Radio Foil, and I hope my old news editor isn't listening. But I was given a bit of advice before I went to the job that if I didn't know the answer to the question, say that I needed a little bit of time to think because she liked. A thinker and not somebody who made a knee-jerk reaction to a decision. So I must have said, can you come back to me on that? And the thing is, she forgot and didn't come (laughs) back to me and I got the job. And I often think that 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 tactic helps. It worked well, yeah. There you go. (laughs) A little bit of a a life lesson there. Um, What would you say as a business owner professionally has been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? Well, top of my head, the last two years. Right. It has been... Absolute crazy. I said, tell <coughs> you, me. You've been dealing with the perfect storm. So you've been dealing with the COVID and everything around that and trying to trying to just keep yourself going, trying to keep yourself open and the changing of the regulations and you know, we we pulled back and then we moved forward and then we pulled back again. So that's been a real challenge and still is a challenge today. We came back there in January and seventeen percent of the workforce were off uh, for COVID related illnesses, not directly just COVID. Because um, people have their own families, you know, children off school, all the rest. So 
and that's been a major, major uh, hassle in business. Brexit, probably the biggest mess I've ever seen and will ever see in my lifetime. You know, we're now, what, six years in and we still don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting scratching your head. What do we do? And we've tried to make business decisions over this period of time, and including, you know, the business north and south operating in EU and UK. That's right. And we're flipping all the time. You're having to change your decisions all the time. So being agile and flexible. But does it frustrate you that you're having to do that in the first place? It does, yeah. It really is frustrating. It's getting to a point where you have to be saying, is there any point in being in business in Northern Ireland? Really? It is that bad now. Wow. That's a big statement. So what do you think then? What what What's your gut telling you? My gut... Well, to be honest with you, my gut is telling me that it's time to actually scale business down in Northern Ireland and move it out because wow. it's no longer sustainable. There's too many. I mean, we're now dealing with another political crisis. You can't keep this going. You can't keep flip-flopping across. Uh, businesses need stability. They need to know what the rules of the game are. It doesn't matter what the rules are. They just need to know what they are, you know, what they actually are. Well, given the proximity to the border, would it be quite easy to relocate? Absolutely. Right. So watch this space, maybe. Potentially. I mean, again, go back to me and my core roots. I love this area. I want to keep people employed in this area. I want to thrive in this area. I want to see I want to see Newry City become a city proper. And it just is so frustrating at this minute in time. So definitely these last two years with the Brexit, with COVID, um, labour crisis that we're now facing, rising costs of, of inflation... It's just not easy. So this is definitely the most troublesome period in business. Wow. Um, you're a relatively young man. You've achieved so much in, in, in such a short space of time. And I'm sure you'll go on to do lots of other things as well. Um, do you, you said at the start that you didn't have a kind of goal or a blueprint or a plan. Do you have an end, an exit strategy? I don't have an exit strategy, no. And I'm smiling here because somebody actually asked me that uh, just outside coming oh, in. With lots of spooky things going on. <laughs> there really is. Um, yeah, I don't see the exit for myself yet. As long as I'm enjoying it, I'll keep doing it. In terms of, uh, talk about business, I mean, in terms of business, uh, look, as you said, I'm, I'm 39, 40 this year. You know, I've got, hopefully, touch wood, a long time to go and I'm sure I'll keep pushing the boundaries and keep putting my fingers in various things to see what I can do and improve the, the local area. And that's what it always boils down to, improving the local area for me. So you've talked about the mountains, you've talked about the beer, but um, what else do you like doing outside of work? Well, I'm in my fitness, um, <clears throat> as I said, healthy, yes. healthy body. So you like running, uh, <clears throat> fantastic. There's actually a series called Born to Run series, um, the winter series. <clears throat> it's six 10Ks every sort of three weeks. So just finished the last one there last Saturday in Castle Wellen. So it gets you in all these uh, parks across Northern Ireland. It's a bit scaled back this year. They used to take you to Cookstown and things like that. But I love that there. So you getting out into that nature. Also, there's a wee bit of competitive streak in there ah. too. So like somebody in front of me, I'm going to catch you. <laughs> you know, so I really enjoy that. And do you, have, do you have competition against yourself ever as well? Would you be pushing yourself for personal bests and things like that? Yes, so... This winter series, my challenge for myself was get below 50 minutes for the 10K, and I achieved that in Antrim. I uh, got 48.27 or something, so high fives all around. 
I am very, very impressed. Um, let's talk about the football as well, because football is a massively big part of your life. I did ask you before again if you'd, if you'd played football, but you hadn't. But you've, you've risen to very senior ranks, uh, chairman of, or chairperson, I should say, of Warren Point Town, and then the I- NIFL Premiership Management. Uh, you're chair of that now. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I love football. Um, there's a lot of traits in football that translate into into business and personal life and all that too in terms of teamwork and camaraderie and you know <coughs> tactics and things like that so there's a lot of things that are translated but I you know got into football as a child as m- most children tend to do kicked football on the street growing up in Ballon Hinge, Craig's Road but I suppose because of trying to work you know my dad away and things like that I didn't really get into it in terms of a team I was always probably one regret I do have. Um, and then at 24, obviously, I started CTS, so I had no time, really. No. But the passion's always been there. Uh, so I got into Warren Point Town Football Club, what, 10 years or more ago. And it was actually, because I moved down, and it's, it's amazing, the mountains seem to make a difference in terms of sport here. It's more Gaelic football in this Newry Moor area. Uh-huh. Go to the other side of the mountains, then the football, the soccer, as people would say, is more popular. So coming from Ballinahinch, where football was more popular, and come down here, I had no clue whatsoever. And right. it was just a chance that I was in a taxi one night with the then chairman of Warren Point High Football Club, which I didn't know. <laughs> and I was driving past a, a football field. I go, I'd love to be involved in football. And he said, all right, yeah, yeah. What's your number? Are and you he did it right me and says, come on. So Yeah, but it was great. Just like that. Just like that. And uh, it's been a good journey. I coached underage football for a few years at the club. Uh, big time commitment where it's set, you know, you have to be there at six o'clock and stuff like that. Sometimes it doesn't quite work that mm-hmm. way and you can't let kids down. So um yeah, I became chair of the club. As part of that you go and represent the club at the football league meetings and then now this season I've become chair of the Premier League Management Committee, which is exciting um and challenging because football's gone through a wee bit of a renaissance here at the minute. And then I'm also on the IFA, the Irish Football Association Football Council, and I just stopped short there last week of going forward for the board of the IFA. Wow, wow, okay. Too young. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that is an incredible um, achievement, and, you know, looking even at at the women's football team as well in Northern Ireland as well, they're they're doing fantastically well, but that giving back to the community as well and keeping it local is massively important to you. It is, yeah, and that's why I'm involved. I want to see football prosper here. And you just touched on women's football there. I've been pushing now for Warren Point Town to have a women's football team. The frustration here, and this is a major one for me, and if you look at my Twitter, you'll probably see this, there's no facilities in this area. Mm. We need 3G pitches. Women's football, the season is during the summer. And at this minute in time, that's when your grass grows. don't think that's going to change. And if you don't have grass growing, you can't have a winter season. So... We need a 3G pitch in the area to get that going. There's a good call to action. Um, You also talked about uh, what you can learn and what you can take from being involved in sport and apply it to all aspects of your life. You firmly believe that. What's the biggest thing? Absolutely. I mean, team teamwork. Uh, I've said on our youth structure, so we have kids coming right down from six years of age, and some of the things that we can teach them is working together in a team, uh, turning up on time, very important in life to make sure you're there whenever you should be there. Um, how you dress, professional, you know, uniforms, things like this. Mm. Instilling some core values into people. Um, also, winning and losing. People say you shouldn't focus on No, you shouldn't focus on winning and losing. But 
it's how people react to those situations. Yeah. If you do get beat on the field, if your teammate's struggling, did you go over and you put your arm around them? You know, these are things that you need in life and you need in business. Yeah, so important too. It's not just all about you, it's about your teammates as well. So that's brilliant. Um, we're nearing the end of the podcast, Connor. I've, I must say I've really enjoyed talking to you today and I think our listeners will have taken so much away. But if I could ask you to be a little more specific, even with some advice now, um, what advice would you give to people who have a business idea but have no idea where to begin um, or they're unsure as to whether the risk is worth taking? Yeah, I would say reach out to myself or anyone else in the business community because by and large, they're, they're going to help you. They're going to talk to you. They're going to give time to have a cup of coffee with you. I've certainly done it, and I know others in this area. There's a there's a very good business community in Newrymore, and I know that the people within it will help anyone who asks. Don't be alone. Don't be shy. Don't be behind the, the door in this year. Just come out and ask a question. Tweet, whatever, LinkedIn, whatever way you can reach somebody. Just do it. And... Uh we did talk at the, the start. Lots of things have, have emerged during the conversation. But what next for Conor McGreevy? Well, you might give me a wee nudge back in the politics. Um, you did hint at that. I did. Uh, that's that's probably a strong possibility to how I feel today. We'll see where that one goes. Um, within business, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing, enjoying it and helping people. That's what it's about. Thank you so much, Connor, for joining me today. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed that as much as I have, everyone. And um, I look forward to seeing you all here again for another fantastic episode of the Public Eye podcast. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.